welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 59. Thanks for listening. Hello again, everybody. I hope your week has been amazing and that life is good for you. What's new in the world, guys? Not a whole lot going on here. I did sort of uh, retro-y things yesterday, um, at least in terms of TV viewing. I watched the fifth Doctor Doctor Who story, Kinda, last night for no reason whatsoever. I had probably hadn't watched it since I was a kid. I kind of remembered it being pretty lame, but I actually on rewatch this time found it quite compelling. Yeah, there's a big dumb-looking fake uh, snake at the end, which is sort of a, a disappointing reveal of the villain, but the story itself was eerie and weird and had all sorts of ideas about religion and belief and otherworldly kind of things and it was just a very interesting and for the time kind of offbeat story for Doctor Who. I really enjoyed that. The other thing I did last night before that it was family movie night so I used that as an excuse to pull out the original 1970s Muppet movie which is a sentimental favorite of mine. I tried to get the kids to watch it quite a while ago they just didn't really get into it. But we watched it again last night, and it was an experience enjoyed by all. Um, it's uh, a solid story. There's a lot of uh, great comedic performances. There's a lot of heart to the movie. And it it kind of hits on all cylinders for me. So you should go check that out if you're even a casual Muppets fan. And maybe haven't watched the Muppet movie for a while. Let's see. Is there any actual news this week? Uh, yeah, there is actually. The Sword Quest game... Uh, actually, a series of games uh, from the 80s is getting a new life. There is going to be a new Sword Quest comic coming out this spring. Sword Quest was a four-part video game for the Atari 2600, an early attempt at an action-adventure game. I don't remember the game as a kid, so I'm just kind of going by what I've read here. Uh, I guess each edition, each episode of the game, came with the comic book to flesh out the story, but then Atari apparently ran out of money, wasn't able to finish the last game, in the early 80s. The stuff I read said something about how uh, along with the game and the comics there were opportunities to win cash prizes if you found all the secrets buried within the games. Atari is now teaming up with Dynamite Entertainment to bring the comics back to life. Instead of focusing on the original game's heroes, the new comics focus on the unreleased game and a kid's decades-long quest to play the unreleased final installment in the series. The protagonist, Peter Chase, falls on hard times and has to move back home but there he rediscovers his old Atari system and falls back into the world of Sword Quest. The comic, uh, like I said, is going to be produced by Dynamite Entertainment. It'll be co-written by Chad Bowers and Chris Sims, X-Men 92, uh, if that means anything to you. Uh, with art by Scott Cowlchuck, Batman 66. George Perez, the comic's original artist from the 80s run, will also be back to work up some variant covers. The first issue of the new Sword Quest hits comic stores in May. Um, no word, apparently, on whether or not Atari's actually going to make, or Atari or anybody else, is actually going to make that long-lost lo final game. Uh, but there's going to be a comic. We're a story-based Atari podcast, so of course I will be checking that out. Uh, we haven't done a Sword Quest game on the show. I do have one on the schedule for later. Uh, I may have to look at that and move that up in the schedule a bit for when the comic comes out. So stay tuned for that. Oh, here's another article that talks a little bit more about this prize thing. Uh, Sword Quest apparently was released in 1982 
and offered $150,000 worth of prizes to players who could solve all the puzzles in the game series. Atari also teamed up with DC to release a companion comic alongside each game uh, back in the day. Uh, like I said before, Dynam Dynamite Entertainment is the one doing the comic now. I'm curious though, you know, the fourth game, because Atari ran out of money, was never finished, so there were unsolved puzzles and an unfinished tale, uh, you know, sort of the narrative that ran through all the games. I don't know though, does that mean nobody got prizes? Oh, this is interesting. Dynamite Entertainment's first issue of Sword Quest is out this May, which I said, uh, featuring four variant covers, uh, like I said, uh, Perez. Uh, the guy who did the original comics is going to do the variant covers. And uh, the comics just going to cost 25 cents. I suppose it's sort of a throwback to the 80s when comics probably were 25 cents. So that's pretty cool. I'm still curious, though, and I didn't think to research it beforehand. Uh, maybe I will before I do my Sword Quest episode later in the spring. Uh, does anybody know what the story was with the prizes? Uh, the $150,000? Did anybody cash in on any of those prizes since they didn't finish the series? I'm kind of curious. So uh, drop some knowledge on me if you have any. Uh, in other news, Tari movie update. Since we're talking about movies and bringing back old properties as new properties and so forth, I have no news about the Atari movies. Uh, Missile Command, Centipede, back, way back, it's going on almost a year now, Atari was teaming up with a production company to make movies based on those two games. And there's been hardly a peep that I've seen uh, about it since then. Not sure what that means. Could be good, could be bad, could mean nothing at all. Although it would seem like if they had it seems like even if they had not started doing anything until that day in May 2016, they would certainly have a script by now, I would think, or a director, or I don't know if they'd have anything cast yet necessarily, but it seems like they would have some news to report if anything had actually happened. So I don't know. Lots of mysteries in the world these days. In other news, there is no other news. This week's game is Night Driver from Atari 1980. We're using the paddle controllers for this one. My pedal controllers have seen better days. I know that because when I hold one of them up, it makes a noise like this. And I suspect that's not what it's supposed to sound like. But it worked well enough to play the game. The manual reminds us to plug the controller cable into the left controller jack at the rear of the Atari video computer system. Hold the controller with the red button to your upper left towards the television screen. This is a one-player game. It tells you don't connect it to the right cable. It's not going to work. How to play. You're in the driver's seat, and the track is just ahead of you on the television screen. Your car is permanently fixed at the bottom of the screen. See diagram. Here you go. Holding it up for you. Take good luck. No, down in the corner. Okay. All you have to do is accelerate and steer the car through one of the four tracks, using the uh, C using the controllers. Each time you veer off the track and hit one of the pylons, or hit an oncoming car, a simulated crash scene will appear on the screen. I know this because I saw it a lot. It is a good idea to quickly read through these instructions so that you won't miss any important details. Be sure to read what happens when you change the position of the difficulty switches, see difficulty switches, as well as how each game number represents a slightly different game, see game variations. You know, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that it's probably not crucial to read all of this manual, although I guess I probably will. I mean, it's a race car game, right? You steer the car with the, the little wheel, and you brake, should you choose to do so, with the red button. So, there you go. Uh, after inserting the cartridge, turn your television off, flip the console power on. Wow, they get really uh, detailed with these instructions. The knob on the con paddle controller is the steering wheel, and the red button is your accelerator. Be sure to hold the controller with the red button on the left. You must press the button to accelerate and start the action. Uh, you steer with the uh, controller knob, try to avoid hitting the pylons and the oncoming cars. 
your initial tendency will probably be to oversteer the car, which will cause you to crash. However, don't be discouraged if this happens. With time and practice, you will get the knack of it and eventually become quite skilled. When first starting out, don't use maximum acceleration throughout the course of a track. Instead, let off slightly or even all the way as you wind through tight turns and difficult spots on the track. This should help you to avoid crashes and low scores. See, I kind of tried to do that just to see how it works, and it really doesn't work. The, the button doesn't have that much finesse to it, so it's hard to just kind of push the button. Uh, you're either pushing it or you're not, which means you're either not moving at all or you're going at maximum speed. Um, I had a hard time trying to control the acceleration. I most of the time just went, you know, uh, pedal to the metal kind of thing. The right difficulty switch on the console controls the maximum speed at which your car will travel. In the A position, the car will travel the fastest. In the B position, the maximum speed will be slower. Beginners should start with the right difficulty switch in the B position. The left difficulty switch may or may not act as a warning device, depending on its position. In the A position, oncoming cars will not honk before they appear on the screen. In the B position, oncoming cars honk just before they appear. I believe, when I played this uh, in the field report, I had it in the B position, and I didn't hear any honking. If you notice honking on the field report, uh, just know that I was oblivious to it, apparently. Which is a lot like real life. I pretty much own the road. That's as it should be. I'm an American. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, games 1, 2, 3, and 4 are timed. At the beginning of each of these games, a clock will begin to counting down. They put clock in quotes. I wonder why. It's either a clock or it's not. Anyway, we'll begin counting down from 90 seconds at the upper right corner of the screen. Games 5, 6, 7, and 8 have no time limit. They may be played for an indefinite period of time, and there will not be a clock counting down on the screen. I love the idea that somewhere there is now a middle-aged man who has been playing the, uh, you know, like game five since 1980. And he is still going because he wants to get his money's worth out of that indefinite time limit. So you go, imaginary person I just made up. Though I have to imagine that the long fingernails you must have by now kind of make it difficult to work the controls. So, you know, good luck to you, friend. Games one and five have the easiest track and should be used by beginning players. Games 2 and 6 have the medium difficulty track. The expert track in games 3 and 7 is more difficult than the novice or pro tracks. All of the tracks described so far, games 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, and 7, are stored in the program memory of the game. So even though the novice, pro, and expert tracks are, always, are progressively more difficult, each track will always follow a fixed course. This makes it possible for players to eventually memorize the track as their driving skill increases. The random track, however, games 4 and 8, follows a different course each time, making it challenging even for the most skilled players. Although, I have to imagine, I don't know, I haven't put it to the test, but I have to imagine that, you know, even on the random setting of games 4 and 8, there is a finite number of variations. I would guess that if you played it enough, patterns still emerge. But I may be wrong. Use the game matrix at the back of this instruction booklet as a quick reference for game variations and game numbers. The object in all of the games is to obtain a high score. Scoring is done automatically by the computer as you travel through the course. As you pass certain spots, invisible to you, on the track, the computer automatically tallies one point to your score. That's kind of like a speech rap, it sounds to me. Dudley do right. Uh, waiting, you know, behind the billboard with the radar gun to uh, to catch you. 
In the games with no time limit, games 5, 6, 7, and 8, your scoring possibilities are infinite. So our man, who's been playing for uh, 37 years, probably has a score of like, uh, I don't know, 48. I mean, these are not real high scoring games. Okay, so that is how you play Night Driver. Although, like I said, you could really just pick up the paddle and start playing. Night Driver was originally an arcade game developed by Ted Mikan and licensed by Atari Incorporated for release in the United States in October 1976. Originally licensed by Atari from German firm Micronetics, whom Tom Mikan had sold the game to and had released the game in 1977 as Night Racer. Ted's version was in turn inspired by the earlier discrete coin-op Nürburgring 1. Wow, I butchered that German word even though I minored in German in college. It is considered one of the earliest first-person racing video games, and is commonly believed to be one of the first published games to display real-time first-person graphics. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but it does look a little different, I guess, than other games of the time? In that regard? Hmm. I don't know, I have to think about that a little bit more. The arcade game came in upright and cockpit versions of the cabinet. The upright version had a, a black light installed inside the cabinet, which illuminated the bezel. The game length could be set by the owner to 50, 75, 100, or 125 seconds. After 300 points, a player is awarded bonus time equal to game time, but the score wraps around back to zero at 1,000 points. So it is possible to reach 300 points more than once. Due to the additional points received for more difficult play, playing on the expert setting is actually the easiest to achieve extra time once a player has mastered the game. Due to the limitations of arcade technology at the time, the car the player is driving is not actually drawn on screen. Instead, the car is a printed plastic insert that is laid under the screen. Also, the fact that the car is driving at night made it easier for the programmers to draw the environment with limited graphics at the time, as most things, street, buildings, etc., didn't need to be drawn because they were supposedly completely dark. That sounds like cheating to me. Uh, which begs the question, I guess. Is Night Driver Night Driver because it looks cool? And I'll be honest, it kind of does. Or is Night Driver driving at night because it was cheaper to program? You got me. Let me know what you think. After the arcade game was successful, Rob Fulop ported the game over to Atari's home system at the time, the Atari 2600, the Apple II, and the Commodore 64. Uh, this port added features not present in the coin-operated version, such as additional vehicles the player must avoid, as well as showing houses and trees along the side of the road. So wait, in the arcade version, just drove on a road? Yeah, I guess so. Now that I'm looking back here. Yeah. Apparently, the arcade version, your your goal is to not uh, go off, you know, go off the road. Um, but in the in the Atari version, the home ports, uh, they added in uh, cars that you have to get around. It's odd. That, it seems to me it's odd that uh, the home version added things instead of took things away. The Apple version of the game use, uh, uses paddles to steer. The numeric buttons 1 to 4 change the gear and thus the speed. Commodore 64... The Commodore 64 version is called Night Drive, because they were too cheap to add the R at the end? I don't know. The Atari 2600 version of Night Driver was made available on Microsoft's Game Room service for his Xbox 360 console and for Windows-based PCs in May 2010. After the break, late night road trip!
son, come over here. We need to have a talk. Ew, no, Dad. I don't want to have the sex talk again. Oh, don't worry, son. That's why I gave you the Betty and Veronica comic book. No. Now we need to talk about how you're getting older and it's almost time for you to get your learning permit so that you can drive a car. Great, Dad. Are we going to practice some driving skills? Yes, we are, son. Just sit right down here and play some night driver. An Atari game, Dad? I'm not sure that's how you learn. Quiet, son. Daddy needs to go drink. I'll be back in an hour. Night driver is a pretty... I just crashed. Better call my insurance agent. Night driver is a pretty cool looking game, actually. Uh, basic as it is. Wow, it's really hard to talk and uh, drive a car at the same time. That's what that cop told me. Um, it's weirdly hypnotic watching this green go really fast, even on this really simple setting. Um, I guess those are evergreen trees that I keep passing. Every once in a while, in the corner of my eye, I think I saw a palm tree. I think they're supposed to be evergreens. All those cars break out of my way, yo. Cars that you have to get around on the road look like cars, but your car kind of looks like a tank from the combat game. Maybe that's just to so you can tell the difference. I don't know. I'm also not real clear. Are you actually in a road race? Are those other cars racing with you, or are you just you know a lead foot out on the highway somewhere? Dark desert highway, perhaps. Cold wind in your hair. Hotel California should be coming up anytime now. And that's the end of that game. I guess I lost? I don't know. Back to you in the studio. Baby, you can drive my car. Yes, I'm gonna be a star. Uh, though not according to Atari Guide which called Night Driver an almost fun game. The exact quote is, This is an almost fun first-person driving game. We'll drive your car through the course, dodging up oncoming cars in the pylons. If you hit something, you crash. See how far you can go in 90 seconds. This is supposed to be happening at night, so the, background, so the screen background is black, though you can see everything just fine. And that's all Atari Guide had to say about it. In contrast, my kid Henry really likes this game. Well, you know, I mean, he's seven, so he really liked this game for, like, a day after I showed it to him. His love for the game was usurped, then, by Burger Time and Food Fight and Double Dragon. I think if I pulled out Night Driver again, he would go back to it, and he really liked it at the time. I also really liked the game. The look of it, the, the nighttime driving thing, is kind of hypnotic, though, unlike real road hypnosis that can happen on long road trips, you don't veer into oncoming traffic. Well, you could, I guess, in the game, but, of course, you're not actually going to die. When I played Night Driver, I keep wanting to compare it to Pole Position. The setup is very similar, except Pole Position is during the day, obviously. But even though in my head I keep wanting to compare the two games, I'm not really sure that the comparison is accurate. Pole Position is clearly a road race, right? It looks like a racetrack, you got the checkered flags, you're clearly doing the time trials before you get to the main event and all the cars, including yours, look like Formula One 
racing cars. Uh, it's a clear objective, right? To get the best time so that you get the pole position on the track. Night driver is a little more unclear. I'm not exactly sure what you're doing out here late at night. It's dark, so you can't see. I, I don't think you're on a racetrack. There are houses and trees every once in a while that you pass. You know, what are you doing out here on this road driving fast in the middle of the night? Go home and watch Doctor Who and eat some ice cream for crying out loud. It really just kind of looks like you're just being a reckless driver. Um, you know, even the other cars. I think I mentioned the fuel report. Your own car looks to me more like a tank from combat. The other cars on the road look like some sort of mid-priced four-door sedan. A Taurus, perhaps, uh, which our family had in the 80s. It was my first car, actually. So I, I don't really get what the objective of the game is, other than scoring points. I don't, I don't know why you're doing... Why your character's doing... What's your character's motivation, for Pete's sake? As far as the mechanics of the game, I find that it is easier to play if you don't look at your car, but instead look as far down the track as you can and steer that way. This seems to me to be the opposite of pole position, where your car is moving towards the other cars and you have to go around them, so you have to keep an eye on where your car is. You know, we, we meant, talked earlier about how Night Driver, the way it's programmed, is your car is stationary at the bottom of the screen and the track and the other cars are coming at you. So I guess my, I guess that's why the different approach is makes sense. You know, I'm one of those guys who, on late-night road trips, on lonely highways, wonders where the only other car out there on the road is going when it takes that sort of out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere exit. When I play this game, I try to imagine who the night driver is. I picture a dude with a mullet, the sleeves of his shiny jacket pushed up, wearing, of course, sunglasses at night. Why? Well, obviously, so he can, so he can... Watch you weave, then breathe your storylines. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, right. Speaking of stories, here's one. Before the Batmobile. Before there was Knight Rider. Before that car the Flintstones made go with their feet. Before all that, there was... The Knight Driver. Hey, look there. It's him, the Knight Driver. He's kind of like MacGyver. Okay, not really. Knight Driver has no cape, but he's got dual overhead cams. Whatever those are. Mario Kart had an ape. A good Sunday dinner is ham. <laughs> kind of lost the thread there. Like Night Driver in a skid leaving tread there. By the side of the road. Villains all know. Don't hang around or Night Driver will pound. He drives around. All through the night. Here and there. Never quite out of sight. The one lone late night car. Taking the rural exit. So near yet so far. That's the Night Driver. To be clear, not MacGyver. So what's the story? Who is he? They say he was a surgeon. One who works on trees. Then one day a tree limb gave away, bonked on the head, left for dead. The leaves on the trees shook with laughter. The driver was enraged, not a surgeon thereafter. Dedicated to the road, not to nature like a toad. Some drivers wear their sunglasses at night, not him. He wears only the knowledge he's right. Well, he wears pants, too. Won't make that mistake again, boo. Anyway, he don't need a bat signal. He has a turn signal. Just the right one, though. The left one won't blink. When villains come round, he gives them a wink. Then he roars into the dark, fighting crime as no lark. He might crash, he might crunch. Finding villains takes more than a hunch. Takes a heart of steel. His car is steel, too. If you hear tires squeal, you'll know you are through.
He seeks out bad guys, tracks them down in his cars. The evil connive and tell lies, steal for themselves what is ours. When he finds a fiend, his car goes beep beep. They hate to be seen, but off to jail they will creep. When his work is completed, the cops have their crook. He drives away undefeated. There are still more crooks in his book, but that'll wait for Night Driver 2, which will be coming your way after he poos. Stupid gas station hot dogs. <laughs> And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and iTunes, where you should drive on through and leave a review. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, like the Atari Bytes Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Brain games. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.